Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. We look at everyday issues from a biblical worldview so that you can trust the sufficiency of Scripture and apply its truth to your life as you raise and disciple your kids. Hello, everyone. So glad that you have joined us today. And friends, this podcast is all about helping you with the why you should limit your child's access to smartphones, social media, and internet entertainment in general. And then we're going to talk about the apply portion that is so necessary for us as parents. So we're talking about the why and the apply. I know a lot of people just want to be told, complete this equation and you'll earn an A plus grade in your child's life. But the reality is, is if you don't understand the why you are doing a certain equation, when it gets hard, you'll just cave. You'll just give up. This is just human nature. And there are so many parents out there that are walking in regret over what they've allowed on the smartphone or the internet in general. And now they're living out the costs that they didn't count ahead of time. Maybe their child is rejecting God. They're rejecting education. Maybe they're rejecting their gender, parental authority, or even just a relationship with their parents. And they're rejecting that in exchange for their own truth. And that's a hard pill for us to swallow as parents. So over the past six, seven weeks, we have intentionally emphasized the value of knowing scripture, understanding what theology is, why it's important. That is why it's more important than media and technology, of course. And we pose the question from Matthew 16, 26. What profit is it if your child gains the world, but loses their soul in the process? If they gain popularity, but they lose the desire to read their Bible? If they gain social media fame, but they lose their faith and opt for this secular script of self-worship, what good is that? These are such important questions to meditate on because ultimately, when our kids are still kids, right, we are the gatekeeper of influence into their life. Dad, you are the spiritual leader of the family and your children follow your lead. Your role is just so foundational and so instrumental. Mom, you're the, often the keeper of the calendar and what you allow or require your children to partake in and participate in will demonstrate what is most important in life. And I can't think of anything more important than the biblical command to raise our children in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. This comes from Ephesians 6.4. And allow me to expound on this text just a little bit. Right before Paul writes this to the Ephesians to raise your children in the knowledge and discipline of the Lord. Paul, who is not a father, but because he is divinely inspired, he can expound on these theological precedents that have been set before him in scripture throughout the Old Testament. So Paul directly speaks to children in Ephesians 6.1 and tells them to obey and honor their parents. Well, why should children obey their parents? Paul gives you the answer because it is right. Now, I know that sounds a lot like because I told you so. But here, Paul isn't just making this up, saying, I'm telling you this, just do it because I say so, do it because I say that it's right. He is expounding on scripture that God has spoken centuries earlier through the prophet Hosea. Hosea says in verse 14:9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. 
for the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Again, that's Hosea 14.9. So 2,000 years ago, Paul understood that God's word was right. And 2,700 years ago, Hosea, the prophet, understood that the Lord's way was right. But even before that, right, there's even more. Paul is also recalling scripture from the time when Moses gave the law to Israel. In Exodus 20.12, he gives the fifth commandment, which is for children to honor their father and mother. Now, before they entered into the promised land, we all know they, they disobeyed, they wandered for 40 years. Moses reviews all the commandments and the law one more time, just so they know. And here, he gives very specific instructions. In Deuteronomy 6, he speaks directly to parents about the role that they have. And he says, These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When Paul is telling children in Ephesians 6.4, or excuse me, 6.1, to obey and honor their mother and father, it is assumed that fathers and mothers were discipling their children, that they were talking about God, that they were having theological conversations, that they were praying, that they were talking about Jesus and sharing what they knew about Scripture, reading the letters that had been passed down and around. They were doing this when they walk around, when they lie down, when they rise for the day. And if you are doing this today with your children, right, you most definitely have a relationship with your child. It's just by the sheer nature of the fact that you are teaching all of this time when you're walking around, lying down, rise for the day, that builds a relationship. And in that relationship, it becomes hard for your son or daughter to disobey or to not honor you because you are spending that time with them in relationship, training them on what is right. But what if you're not? Or what if you haven't? I know a lot of us parents have been in this boat. What if you're not doing this? You have to consider who then is teaching your child what is right. Now really think about this and think about how twisted truth is in our culture today. How will will your child define what is right for them? I will tell you, their peers. And where will their peers learn how to define right and wrong? You guessed it, more peers. And these peers can be in real life. They can be peers on social media. They can be people they don't even know on YouTube or streaming television. The overarching narrative out there in our youth culture is that parents are not needed. They know nothing. They offer nothing. And ultimately, they are what is keeping children from all they want and desire. And this is because they've defined for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They've defined for themselves their own truth because we did not teach them what is truth. Now, I've been reading Nancy Piercy's new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, which is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. And in a chapter about the media's portrayal of fatherhood, she makes amazing connection that I actually hadn't recognized yet when it comes to parenting. So it says this, quote, In recent decades, social media has grown even more destructive of the parent-child bond. Cell phones allow children to live under the influence of their friends 24-7. Many young people 
look to their peers for their values, identity, and codes of behavior. Yet, this intense peer orientation is not healthy for kids. Peers do not provide the stable, mature, consistent love that children need, which means that children who are peer-directed will inevitably be insecure. Now, she goes on to quote a physician and author, Gaber Mate, and he says, quote, for the first time in history, young people are turning for instruction modeling and other guidance, not to mothers, fathers, teachers, and other responsible adults, but to their own peers. As a result, they are less likely to accept guidance from their parents. They are not manageable, teachable, or maturing because they no longer take their cues from us. Instead, they are being brought up by immature persons who could not possibly guide them to maturity. End quote. Consequently, Nancy Piercy concludes, children are losing touch with the wider, more mature perspective of adults. Their perspective is becoming narrow and obsessive. She goes on to say the most common cause of suicide cited by young people is not rejection by their parents, but rejection by their peers. So that was from Nancy Piercy's new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. I just finished it and found it incredibly insightful. I'll link it in the show notes. Now, but what she said, brave parents, (laughs) did you hear this? Did you absorb it? Do you need to hit the rewind 30 seconds button on your podcast app? She said, our children are taking their cues and their values from their peers. This makes sense, right? But these peers, they are immature and they are unstable. They are learning what is right, not from what you teach them from scripture, but with a smartphone in hand or internet, anything at the ready, they are learning what is right from peers. And more often than not, that which is right in their eyes is all based on temporary feelings of their flesh. If you think about this, you can easily see that this is true. It's true everywhere you look. Kids today are determining the right way based on how their peers dress. That's how I'm going to dress. How their peers talk, how they use social media, how they use and treat other people. Right? She even mentioned their behavioral cues, how they are behaving is being taken from their peers. And not only that, how they learn or if they even want to learn. Because as we've said in several episodes over the past six, seven weeks, the kids' desire to learn in school is tragically diminishing. Well, this is why. They aren't taking their cues and values from adults who understand the importance of education, but rather they're taking their values and cues from immature peers who also dislike school and learning and would rather play video games or would rather be on social media or laughing or being entertained of some kind. Or consider older teens and young adults. You know, I quoted the book saying, quote, they are not manageable, teachable, or maturing. And overall, we see a lot of this going on in society. A lot of young people, young adults, don't want to work to support themselves. Rather, they are extending their childhood by, even if they go to college, still living at home and really expecting and asking their parents to still do everything for them. They don't want to become adults 
because they're taking all of their cues from their peers who are all acting like children still, even though they're 26, right? So people of of my generation, which is Gen X, we would kind of say, man, isn't that embarrassing? But to them, we have to realize if all of their peers are doing the same thing of this extended childhood of barely working and playing video games, well, then why shouldn't they do it? It's not embarrassing to them because they're taking all of what is right, what is wrong from their peers. So I don't think I need to delineate the fallout that continues when young people continue to live like this. It's really tragic. But rather, let's go back to where I started with this. What benefit is it if your child gains the world but loses their soul? And let me ask this in a different way. What benefit is there if your child has a smartphone to communicate with peers but then loses the values that you've instilled as they become peer-orientated and with such constant connection, they are taking all their, all their morals, all their values from their peers. What good is it if they can communicate if they lose everything you've taught them? And it really comes back to Paul's command for children to obey and honor their father and mother because it is right. It is right because it's God's holy word of instruction, which has proven itself over three millennia. But it's also right because it's being taught from a stable, mature, loving parent with whom the child takes their cues and values and has a loving, stable relationship with. So all of this points toward delaying access to the media-driven life, to the content-driven life that we often talk about, to the constantly connected life of taking all of their cues from peers. While at the same time of delaying, we also have to apply what Deuteronomy 6 instructs, which is what Paul is then taking and teaching us in the New Testament in Ephesians 6, 4, is that we need to teach our children diligently. We can't just let the 45 minutes at church do the work for us. No, right? Mom and dad, we need to teach, teach our children. Pray with our children. Read God's word with our children. You heard both Sam and Mary Catherine over the past two weeks talk about this exact thing and how it was so instrumental in who they become, who they became, and the faith that they have. Develop an attachment to your children on the unshakable ground of God's word. Ultimately, if you want your children to behave differently when they do get a smartphone or a game console, or a social media platform, you will have to do some legwork first to ensure that not only do they have a secure attachment from you, taking their values, behaviors, and cues from you, but also that they understand the definition of what is right because you have taught them that it comes from God's unshakable truth. That foundation of truth cannot be shaken and has not been shaken, and it comes from his word. And frankly, You just need to wait until their brains develop more. Their brains cannot handle this at young ages. I hear all the time that my 11 or 12-year-old needs the smartphone, needs an iPhone, because they're the only one of their friend group that can't communicate like that. And this is where we have to apply these questions. What good is it to communicate with them if they are going to lose their soul in the process? If you have not started reading God's word, diligently teaching God's word, instructing them on what is right, 
based on God's word, then you need to do that now before you allow the smartphone and that constant communication and connection. Okay, with that why, let's consider how we apply that. Now, first and foremost, kids younger than high school do not need iPhones. I'm just going to say it right there. The more I have learned, the more I've watched kids grow up, especially now because there are just so many other options available. They really don't need an iPhone until maybe high school. And even then, it may not even be necessary. I understand the hand-me-down phone concept. You get a new phone, and so you don't have to buy a phone for your child. You can just give them your old one. And I've done that before in my home five, six, seven years ago as I've been raising all my kids. But now that I know how many really effective kids-safe phones are available, there's simply no excuse to not use them. And let's just be real, the iPhone, which is set up with screen time limits, still requires a lot of supervision. When they first start texting, you have to physically have the phone in order to review their texts. And yes, you should be doing this. This is what we call read what they type, coach what they say. In my book, Managing Media, Creating Character, it's super important that you teach them how to text and how to communicate properly, effectively, kindly, respectfully. But it also takes a lot of time because there are a lot of known hacks and workarounds that kids can easily find either from their peers or on YouTube, and they can apply it to their phone. They can break through the restrictions or the screen time. And so that can be really frustrating, not because maybe your child doesn't necessarily have good character, but because it is just so alluring. We have to remember that these are designed to addict us in a way maybe not like an addictive substance, but they really are alluring and they draw us in. They create these dopamine hits. So sometimes that overrides our kids' sense of right and wrong. So if you have a middle schooler and you are considering a first smartphone for your child, or you're considering a first home phone that is a smartphone for multiple of your kids, if they're around the same age, please don't even think about an iPhone. What you need is a pinwheel phone. I absolutely love this phone. It is, in my opinion, the only option for a first smartphone for a child. I finally was able to get my hands on one and test it out. And it really, its features made me realize, why would I ever give an iPhone that I can hardly monitor when I can give this to a younger child? So I'm gonna go through a few of my favorite features because I really do love the pinwheel phone. And I really encourage y'all to consider that as an option. So number one, you can control the contacts. If your child wants to add someone, you can approve it. But guess what? You don't have to have their phone to approve it. You have a caregiver app on your own phone, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, you can access their phone and what they have access to and see their text messages all from your parent portal app on your phone. It is brilliant. So you can control the contacts. That's a great feature because you don't want your child just communicating with anybody and everybody. Again, this is where this peer influence comes in and takes over their worldview. So control the contacts. And as I just mentioned, you can review all the text messages. You can see texts that are coming in from unapproved contacts. So say your child gave their phone number to a person but you've not approved them, you can see what that other person is texting your child. You can decide, 
oh, this is appropriate, this is about school, or this is about tennis practice or whatever, and decide whether or not you're going to allow that contact, but you see them all from your phone. It saves you so much time from having to get their phone and then go through every single text message. And the third thing I love about it, you can see the current location as well as a history of locations. Unless you buy, like pay for a subscription of like Life360 on your child's phone, on an iPhone, or you can use Find My iPhone, but doesn't really provide the history. This is automatic. It's right there inside your caregiver portal on your phone. You can check their history of locations as well as their current locations. I know it's a feature a lot of parents really like. And number four, you can add apps from the Pinwheels app store. So it's not completely locked down like you'll never be able to grow with this phone because that's how some of these kids safe phones are. They just only have the apps that they have. But here, Pinwheel has a whole app store and it's the same apps as the Apple store. I was able to put Apple Music onto the Pinwheel phone and log in to my own Apple Music account. Now, granted, they gave me a, they gave me a warning. They said, hey, this app could potentially not be safe for kids. And that's the great thing too. They've already vetted these apps and they tell you some potential backdoors that they might have to access things they shouldn't access. So this is just so fantastic. You can get the apps your child needs. And I would classify needs as ones for school or jobs, banking. If your child is uh, like maybe 13 or older, they have a bank account. I know my kids do. They want to be able to manage their money on their smartphone. It's a great feature. You can add their banking app. You can add Bible study apps or music if you want. And listen, y'all, I have raised seven Gen Z kids and I have monitored a lot over the past 15 years in my parenting journey. And when I tried this phone for the first time, I'm telling you, where has this phone been all my life? It is a game changer. Hands down, I would not consider any other phone than this one for younger kids. And especially like a home smartphone, you do not have to worry about leaving that out in the kitchen and having a couple different kids using it and texting from it to their friends in order to coordinate things. It's a great way to get kids started. It is, it is awesome in that regard. Now, some technical aspects is that it is an Android phone, or you can also get like a Google Pixel phone that you buy outright, and then you can use your own carrier and SIM card. You pay $15 a month for the caregiver monitoring subscription, and you can get your first month free just to try it out. And if you have multiple kids, you want to get a phone for a sibling, you can do that for an additional $4.99 a month. So that's really fantastic. And it's got all of the parental control just built right into the phone. I have yet to figure out a way or even I've assigned it to my child to try and figure out a way to hack through it. I've looked on YouTube and so far I have not seen any videos as to how to break through a pinwheel phone. So that's fantastic. It eliminates making sure that the Apple screen time limits are still working and that your child hasn't found a workaround. Um, So overall, I just love it. So make sure if you want to check it out, please, we ask you use our affiliate link in the podcast notes because that lets them know that Brave Parenting sent you to them. And that just really blesses us and helps us as well. And here's the hard truth. When you're choosing, when you're choosing what your child's going to have, I just want to tell you this outright. You decide, mom and dad, this is your decision. You don't get to say, well, would you like an iPhone or a pinwheel phone? No, 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 no. 
This is your decision because you are paying for it and you are the steward of your child's life. And so remember everything we had just said before, making those hard decisions, prioritizing their faith, their learning of what is true, right, and good. All of that has to to happen, but you need to decide these big decisions. Okay, let's also talk about some non-smartphone device limits and screen time management because this is really important and it's often forgotten, so I just want to touch on it. Every home computer, both Mac and PC, has built-in parental controls and they must be used. It's free. It's free. You just you have to look up. You can just Google search for how to install those for the Mac. It's essentially just like screen time would be on your phone, iOS screen time. For the PC, it's Microsoft Family Safety. And that also transfers over if they have an Xbox. So, but here's some just general rules. Home computers are in public spaces of the home. Plain and simple. Not behind closed doors, not in the bedroom. What happens in the light and that other other people in the home can see makes you accountable. And that is good. That is a good thing. So no computers in the bedroom. Easy enough. Internet needs to shut off, I would say, in the entire household, but especially on the devices that children may use. If you have other things that are connected to the internet that you obviously can't turn off, but make sure you're using your router to shut off your computer, the smartphones, the internet, to the the TV, all of that at, I would say, 10 p.m., but whatever time your family deems appropriate or necessary. Also, on home computers, every individual user account needs to be set up with limits for each child. So each child only uses their own account. That helps each child be accountable for how they're using it and allows you to set up age-based restrictions on those free device limits that I'm telling you that are available that no one's using. So you can block explicit content. Um, You can also limit how much time is on a certain website, um, on a certain game. All of that can be done there. You can also, if you want to, add third-party services such as MobiSip into the computer. Especially, I know a lot of people who use that if they're doing online homeschool to make sure when their child has a lot of access to the internet for online school that they're not accessing YouTube all day long instead of school. So, but here's the crux of monitoring home computers and internet usage. All of these device limits and restrictions are great. Up till about the end of middle school, a motivated high school student can easily learn how to disable and bypass all these limits, whether they're searching on Google or they're doing a YouTube search. A child doesn't really even have to be tech savvy. If they know how to follow directions, there are so many workarounds. And this is what's really frustrating as parents. And I hear you, and I know this isn't the good news of this podcast, but they can. There is a million workarounds, whether they're using a VPN or they're disabling the third-party service on the device. If they want to get around it, they will inevitably get around it. And you may not be any wiser about what they're doing until you realize that they've spent 12 hours in the middle of the night on some website that you would never approve of. And this, of course, is a heart issue. This is a heart issue that you can't control the computer. You can't always control the internet. You can do the best that you can. But like I said, if they're determined, they're going to get around it. And that is a heart issue. They want what they do not have. As James says in James 4.1, they kill, they covet, they quarrel and fight in an effort to satisfy their sinful urges. 
And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in this cat and mouse game of trying to restrict a teenager's internet usage while they keep disabling the restrictions, know that the only way to win is to reach their heart. Maybe read James chapter 4 together. If this is your habit already of going to God's word, this will be a lot easier. If that isn't your habit, pray, 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 and then you know, ask them to read James 4 with you. Seek their heart. Why is it that they are so determined to satisfy their flesh desires of getting access to whatever it is they're doing on the internet? And some other devices in your home, I'm just going to run through a little list that you need to consider because anything that connects to the internet could technically or theoretically be hacked or abused in some way. So that would be Kindles, iPads, smart TVs, Fire Sticks, Apple TVs, your Alexa or Google Home, really anything that's in the smart internet of things such as smart refrigerators, toys, anything that connects to your network, you need to be aware of. Are there restrictions, controls that you can put on there? Most of those devices, yes, they all have them. And so they need to be addressed. Okay, now let's talk about smartphones. I've already talked about delay, 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 and the best phone out there, the pinwheel for a younger child. But if your child is ready for an iPhone and they are in high school and they're learning and maturing in relationship with you because you've delayed access and they're just thriving in their connected and secure relationship, right? And they want to get an iPhone. Here's what you need to know. And first, let me say this. Because 87% of teens have iPhones, I'm just going to focus on the content and restriction limits for iPhone. So I'm really sorry if your child is an Android user. Um, Know that there are restrictions and limits through Google Family Link, but Androids are a lot easier to manipulate than iPhones. And so generally, and because we know a lot of teens want the iPhone, I'm just going to go through that. All right, I'm not going to walk through every screen time setting because Apple really makes it quite intuitive. But here are a few expert tips. Number one, kids cannot know their Apple ID password. Parents, if they already have set up their own Apple ID and they know the password, you need to set up a new one for them on their iPhone. They don't get to use their old one unless they're going to give you the password and you can change it and you can ensure that they're not going to know that password. Then once they, once you're setting the phone up and you're going under screen time, go under content and privacy restrictions. And the last section is titled allow changes. Where it says account changes, this must be disabled. If it is not disabled, your child will be able to make changes to the account, such as the password. So this is really basic, but a lot of parents kind of skip over this. They might know the password, but they've not disabled this allowing changes to be made to the account. So make sure that that is set up. Number two, apply app limits for every app on your child's phone. Your child or any child cannot handle unlimited anything. Adults cannot handle unlimited anything. This is why we don't provide our kids with unlimited ice cream or to allow them to watch unlimited horror movies, right? This is something that you can do together with your child is set up a limit that they agree with and you agree with that is a healthy limit. You can agree upon that and then set it. So maybe with text messaging, it's two hours a day. And they say, yeah, I think that's about healthy. But then they find that that is used up by noon. And then you need to reevaluate. Why are you texting so much in the first part of the day? Why is there already two hours? Provides a really great 
and healthy conversation about their screen usage. But every app on their phone really needs a limit. Maybe they don't need a limit on the weather app, but I'm just saying for the most part, all the apps that they're really going to be spending time on need limits. Now, just a note, there is a one more minute button that pops up when they run out of time with these app limits. Acknowledge this first and foremost with your child. Know that it exists. You don't have to act like you don't know that it exists. I know that you can hit one more minute and keep getting one more minute on that app. However, you should ask them not to use it and expect them not to use it. And if you have trained them in what is right and that they have that secure attachment to you and they trust that you are guiding them in what is right, this actually won't be hard for your child. If they already have a peer-orientated worldview, then yeah, this is going to be a challenge. They're probably going to hit one more minute or they're going to look for workarounds. Doesn't matter. Do it anyway. Put the limits on anyway. Okay, number three. Another limit is downtime. And I highly recommend that you put downtime on during your school's instructional hours, wherever they go to school and however they are educated. This sets the standard and precedence that school and education is important. When the phone is in downtime, only the apps that you've specifically allowed to be used during that time frame can be used. Only the contacts that you've intentionally allowed can be used and accessed. So yes, they could still contact you if they're at school, but they're not going to be able to contact every other friend while they are in the instructional period of school. This really prioritizes academics and a positive peer interaction. By positive, we mean like real face-to-face, life-on-life relationships that just might not occur if everything is free for them to use during class. And now finally, let's talk about some boundaries. The smartphone needs to be taken up every night. Plain and simple. This is how we encourage healthy habits like, oh, I don't know, sleep. Imagine that. This (laughs) simple habit of sleep can decrease a young person's risk for depression, anxiety, and suicide. And this nightly habit of always putting the phone away and not having access to it can really become so ingrained that even when they leave your home, they can continue doing it because it is so ingrained in them. Also, get an RO box, right? We love RO. It's a really beautiful box that you can, everybody in the home can put their phones in. It encourages you to have more away from the screen time with one another. And listen, what children see their parents do, they're more likely to emulate. So if you're using the RO box, it makes them more willing and apt to use it too. And if your family loves competition, it really is a great way to compete for who has the most away from the screen time. All right. And finally, the last boundary I have for you is one that, well, brave parents, you and you alone have the most control over. And that is your phone usage in front of your kids. If you live on your phone, so will your kids. If you watch garbage, so will they. If you're texting at every red light, so will they. So it really, really matters. You can't just say, well, I'm an adult. I've got adult things happening. They need to know what is it like to be an adult? What responsibilities are you really doing on your phone? So explain what it is that you're doing so your child knows that you aren't just playing games, which is often what they might be doing, but rather maybe you're signing up to volunteer in the classroom next week, or maybe you're ordering more toilet paper from Amazon, you know, whatever it is, unless you really are playing games. And if you are, then stop. But whatever it is, just talk to them and explain what it is that you're doing on your phone, that it's more of a utility than it is entertainment. 
So all of this combined with our why, why? Because our children need to learn what is right from us and not their peers can really help our apply. Our children need that secure attachment to mature and stable parents and adults, not attaching to their peers, because this is how they engage with the world. And then they're overtaken by it. So they're overtaken by their peers. We want them to be able to engage the world biblically with a biblical worldview, holding fast to what they know is true. And the aspects of diligently teaching, as Deuteronomy 6 says, of delaying access and then invoking limits and boundaries, this is the way to parent according to God's word in a culture of fluid right and wrong. You know, our kids have more time on their hands than us. And that time enables them to learn how to get around restrictions. I don't like this fact any more than you do, but it is the reality of the allure and the addictive nature of online media content. They want their curiosity and desires satiated by entertainment and games, and they're gonna do whatever it takes to get it. A lot of times, because that's what their peers are doing or that's what their peers already have access to. This is why we have been saying that everything has a cost. The more tech devices that you have in the home, the more you need to monitor and control. The more outlets to the internet, the more risk for them navigating around restrictions and finding porn or some other content that can really harm them. And all of this comes back full circle to our jobs as disciple makers. Our end goal is not our child's happiness. It is their holiness. It is their sanctification. It is their salvation. And holiness is not achieved unless you are intentionally set apart from the world. That's what holiness means, set apart. So our homes should not look like Best Buy, and our kids shouldn't be popular because they have the new iPhone 15 without restrictions. We really must be wise. God's word tells us in 1 Peter to be sober-minded and alert, because the enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Peter says, stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers and sisters around the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And this I want to encourage you on. Y'all, we are all in this. Every parent of every child, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, this is hard. We are all suffering together. So let's rise up together and stop acting like our friend theology mom, Krista said, like we're low key afraid of our kids. We cannot be afraid of our kids' unhappiness. We need to stand firm in the faith. And frankly, the research is out there. It's well-documented and clear to anyone who has eyes to see what is right and wrong. Unrestricted access to smartphones, the internet destroys the souls of children. Now, that's my brave parenting interpretation. I don't know if the CDC would actually phrase it that way. But listen, the word of God says in James 2.11, abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. The internet promotes and algorithmically orchestrates sinful desires. And the smartphone exploits these sinful desires and it wars against our souls. So why are we afraid of placing restrictions? Why aren't we taking the time and energy to do this? Friends, don't we know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? That James 4.4. We should know that We can't be friends with our kids and not discipline them and not put limits and not put restrictions, right? We can't allow them to take all of their cues and values from their peers. They need to be set apart. 
We are called to be holy because God is holy. So brave parents, we must care about our children's souls more than we care about their temporary happiness, and for sure, more than entertainment, and even constant connection and communication with their peers. So let's be brave and get over fearing our kids' displeasure. Let's count it all joy when we face trials like this. Y'all, we got this. We are grown, Holy Spirit-filled adults who know how to discern what is best for our children. We know Hosea 14.9. We know what is right, and we can walk in that way. Now we need to train our children in that way and not let their peers do that work. Okay, so that's all I have for you. I know that was a lot of just me talking, but this was really on my heart. And so I changed what I was originally going to do for this podcast this week and wanted to share this instead. So be sure to check out our pinwheel link in the show notes, as well as the RO box link in the show notes. If you can leave us a review when you are done listening, it would just bless us and our ministry. Thank you so much, friends. Until next time, go and be brave.